0: Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning again. We're in Philippians. You can open up a Bible to Philippians chapter 3. The theme is Rejoice, the Lord is King. Title this morning is The Joy and Worth of Knowing Christ. We just sang about that. (laughs) Question that I want to ask you is Do you understand your worth and your unworthiness? We just sang that. Do you meditate upon what we sing? To wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Now, Grant Kendrick, who wrote these words, took those words from John Stott's excellent book, The Cross of Christ. John Stott wrote this, Our self is a complex entity of good and evil, glory and shame, of creation and fall. We are created, fallen, and redeemed, and then recreated in God's image. Standing before the cross, we see simultaneously our worth and our unworthiness, since we perceive both the greatness of His love in dying and the greatness of our sin in causing Him to die. A paradox of the Christian faith. Now, last week we looked at the devastating effects of those who pursue religion on their own terms, particularly those who have grown up in the Christian culture, cultural Christianity. Those who place the self at the center of their salvation. And Paul was once such a person as this, but then he was confronted with his own unworthiness and found his worth in Christ. Christ. He wrote this, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. This week, I wanted to continue to 12 to 16, but I thought we're going to just stay and pause on verses 7 to 11 and consider these as we think of our own worth and unworthiness in light of the gospel. So let's read together again Philippians chapter 3 and we'll read from verses 2 through to verses 11 and pay special attention to verses 7 to 11 as we read. This is the word of God. Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. From the dead. Let's pray. Father, grant us this morning, by your grace, by your mercy, as we consider the gospel once again captured here for us so beautifully, what it is to know Christ and the joy in knowing Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was reflecting on the preaching of the word this week, You know, I just was struck that we need a fresh perspective of knowing Christ. That's what we need at this time.
1: What we need this morning is what it means to know Christ. In the
0: wake of further disappointment, further heartache, further wounds that have been slowly been growing scabs and have been ripped open afresh, We need a fresh perspective of what it means to know Christ. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Because we can sit here as a body and wallow in our wounds. We can grow bitter. We can be angry. We can be sad. We can be confused. We can be disorientated. And if we stay there and give in to those negative emotions and allow the waves of sorrow to swallow us whole and throw us into despair, we will be of no use to each other. And we will be of no use to the gospel. So we need a fresh perspective of what it means to know Christ. The Apostle Paul knows what it means to be discouraged. He knows discouragement. While he was sitting in prison here writing this letter to the church in Philippi, the fierce wolves were ravaging the flock, threatening to overwhelm the very churches that he spent his life laboring to plant. And so he wrote these words here in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 8, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, has lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the motivation he gives to the church to hold on to the gospel. This is where he returns to. This is where he encourages the church in. And I can find no clearer course for us to plot than these words this morning. So we'll consider these in two parts. the first is those who lose themselves in the gospel. Those who lose themselves in the gospel. You know, the Christian faith is about loss. It's the paradox of the gospel. In our loss, we gain. In losing ourselves, we find. Jesus said, what? Worth is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? But Jesus also said that unless you forsake your mother and your brother and your father, you cannot be my disciple. Paul mentions this twice here in this passage. Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Loss. And then he says again, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, that used twice, he brings the word loss to the fore. This is it for him. There is loss in coming to Christ. Now, this can be a difficult and traumatic experience for many since it involves change, transformation, and sometimes we find change hard. But what kind of a loss is Paul referring to in this passage? Last week we noted Paul's Jewish background, and we saw that in verses 5 to 6. And we saw that he had a very impressive resume. Remember, we looked at that. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What a resume. Paul was a leader in his Jewish career, a Pharisee and a purist. We know from his other testimonies that he was a student of the great Jewish leader Gamaliel. He was one of the greatest leaders in the rabbinic tradition of the first century. Paul was a student of the best and most well-known rabbi of his day. Paul had his career marked out for him. And his passion for the purity of Israel was demonstrated in his persecution of what he thought to be this heretical sect that followed this crucified and Jewish false teacher, Jesus of Nazareth. He
1: pursued the sect... He had them imprisoned.
0: He had Stephen stoned. Can you imagine how Paul must have felt when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9? (laughs) Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine how Paul must have felt in that moment? What he thought he was doing in service to God and out of zeal for his glory was in actual fact directly opposing him. Can you imagine that? This is a major identity crisis. What about the lives of the men who Paul had put to death? What about Stephen? Did he recall Stephen's life? What about the Christians sitting in prison that he investigated? Does he recall the lives of the people who he destroyed in this moment? What does he do with his own pride? Does he hold on to it? Or will he be obedient to the call of God and follow Jesus? You see, in this moment, Saul must die so that Paul may live. He must suffer the loss of everything he held to be true and become a part of this hated sect and acknowledge this crucified Jesus as the Messiah
1: of God's people, the Deliverer, the Savior. And Paul must consider his past and his credentials
0: literally in his own words here in this passage as excrement. (laughs) It's rubbish for I for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish every pursuit that I thought was right and good everything I had lived for and marked in my life everything I had studied for everything I had given I must count as rubbish I don't think any one of us have faced an identity crisis of that magnitude. You know, we're in a Christian culture. It's not such a bad thing for us to become a Christian. In fact, you know, sometimes it's considered to be a great thing by some. In Paul's day, this sect was to be put out. And he had fought his life to subjugate these Christians under the law of Moses and bring them to account, even to stoning. But he was wrong. And he was confronted
1: by God's grace on the road to Damascus. See, the thing is, we need to be confronted by the risen Christ in order to know him.
0: We need to be confronted by the risen Christ in order to know him. We're not going to have the great experience that Paul had on the road to Damascus. We're not going to have the bright light, the great voice. We're not going to have the warning. We're not going to be falling off our horse in order to, because of the of fear that's been subjected. But we still need to be confronted by the risen Christ and the reality of
1: his glory and his church if we want to know him. We are in a peculiar situation in our church's life. where We have all
0: acted in a way that we believe is service to God and out of passion for what is true and right.
1: All of us. But so did Saul
0: as he was traveling to Damascus to throw more people in prison. How can we know that we are not opposing Him in our service to Him? Humility, repentance, self-examination, being confronted with the cross, (laughs) our unworthiness. That's what we have to reconcile with ourselves. We are not worth anything. We are unworthy. We have to be confronted with this table at the cross with who Jesus is on that cross. What he is doing is reconciling sinners to God. What he is doing is he is bringing all of us who have committed heinous treasonal acts against God himself into one body by his spirit. And in that act, showing us that none of us are worthy.
1: And yet, that's where our worth is. (laughs) He makes us worthy. He
0: makes us worthy. But we have to begin with this fact. Paul understood this very clearly. He wrote this to the Roman church and he said, there's no one righteous, not even one. We have to have that perspective. This is us. We're not righteous. Not, not one of us. Every single one of our acts is tainted
1: with some sin. And so when he be humble. that's how we
0: begin to know that we're confronted with Christ
1: is that he confronts us with our own sin first
0: there's been a lot of sin being thrown around and accusations so much Jurinson, Jurinson, Jurinson. Fingers pointing, fingers pointing, fingers pointing. It's time that we look at
1: ourselves. That's where we start. You know,
0: one of our business meetings, I was confronted with a single act of one of our members. Peter stood up I hope he doesn't mind me saying this Peter stood up and asked for forgiveness from every single person of what he thought he didn't have to do that and he set the
1: paradigm for what it looks like to bring healing to this church you see when we are
0: confronted with the cross our unworthiness is exposed Who we are is exposed. Because we realize it's our sin
1: that put him there. It's for our sin that he died. And it humbles us. That's what it does. Now we can hang on to our pride and self-righteousness. But if we want to see healing brought here to this
0: congregation, we need to be humbled. And we need to start with that self-examination. I'm not worthy. But Christ, in Him is all my worth. And He calls me to love each other. He calls me to serve each other. He calls me to
1: seek everyone else's good.
0: And He calls me to be humble.
1: That's the first. So, for those themselves who lose themselves in
0: the gospel will gain the knowledge and righteousness of Christ. Here's the hope that Paul points us to. You see, the great motivating factor. Is given here by Paul in verse 8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's the motivation. You want motivation to get rid of your self-righteousness. You want motivation in order to come into the worth of Christ, to recognize your own un- unworthiness. You want motivation in order to bring healing. It's the worth of knowing Christ. That is what Paul's pointing to. It's, this is what's at stake here. You see, if we are to lose ourselves, we must know that we are going to gain much more. We gain Christ. We gain the surpassing worth of knowing Him. And this is the paradox of the gospel. In our loss, we have gain. See, Paul's loss involved the loss of his community, his social standing, his prestige as a rabbi. He lost family and friends, he lost companions. But he gained Christ. Paul thought he knew through the law and and through his religious service to God that he was doing the right thing, but he was confronted through the law and through the need for a
1: deliverer that he was unworthy.
0: And he thought this was a great problem in the church in Philippi. What was at stake here was that they pursue religion on their own terms.
1: <laughs> but he wanted them to know Christ. And you
0: know it through the gospel. But what is it that Paul had come to gain in knowing Christ? The first thing we notice is a righteous standing before God. You want to be on the right? You want to know that you are right? Well, here it is. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You want to know that you are in the right? This is the only place that you can know that you are in the right is if you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you will have the fruits of a Christian life. The uh, fruits of those Christian life, dear friends, is humility and love. We looked at that last week. Francis Schaeffer said the love marks a Christian. Andrew Murray says humility marks a Christian. Both those, those together are the fruits of the Christian. We have that in Galatians. When Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. In these things there is no
1: law. See, when we live that spirit life in Christ...
0: we will seek the good of the community to which we belong.
1: We will look at ourselves first before we look at others. We'll be humble in our accusations. Now, I want you to know, dear friends, I'm not preaching to those who've departed. I want you to know I'm preaching to you you are sitting here this morning I'm preaching to myself I think all of us have harbored Some kind of sin in
0: our hearts During this time All of us have taken pardons in sin. Sinful accusations, sinful anger Gossip, slander All of us are held on to some form of self-righteousness. We are on the right.
1: But the true righteousness is that which is
0: found in Christ. It is union with Christ that is the grounds for our justification before God, friends. It is to be incorporated into him by faith, not by our religious observance or what we think is bringing God glory, but yet it could not be. It needs to come back to this gospel, back to repentance, back to faith. That's what David Willen preached just two Sundays ago. Four things that happens and occurs. God brings destruction God brings conviction, God brings repentance, God brings restoration. Where are we? Or lamentation was the second one. Where are we? Are we lamenting still? Are we still under destruction? We've got to get to repentance, though, before we get to restoration. And how do we do that? Knowing where our righteousness is found. (laughs) not in ourselves or our performance or our works or our good deeds or the fights that we have, even though we think it's good and right. And we do. We do think that sometimes we're standing for the right things and the true things, but sometimes it can be for such wrong ends. If it's out of the wrong attitude, if it's not an attitude of Christ,
1: who gave himself, humbled himself, became a servant, He see, it is not by that which we think is pleasing to God and service to him. It is
0: purely by faith in Christ. Purely by faith in Christ. Christ alone. Not Christ plus. Not Christ and. We can only have this gain in light of the loss of what we may think is pleasing to God and service to him. See? Even that needs to be subjected <laughs> to Death. And come back to the cross, back to Christ, only in him. Do we glory in our Redeemer? Or are we glorying in ourselves, or our factions, our groups, friends? So the question is, are we willing to suffer loss? Paul wrote, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. How? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, not having a righteousness that depends on my good deeds and my services to God, but rather that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is where it is. And then secondly, Paul moves into the resurrected life. That's where we go. There is a response. There is a way to living that pleases God. It doesn't just stay there. And here he presents it and he continues and says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, knowing Christ doesn't leave you unchanged, dear friends. It doesn't leave you unaffected or unmoved. It doesn't leave you without responsibility. It transforms your life. How do you know if you're res- living the resurrected life? Well, Galatians, once again, the fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, self-control, these, these evidences of God's Spirit in your life. In a situation like this, we can be sapped of all those things because we begin to live in our own strength. We begin to rely on our own good works. We begin to put ourselves in the justified camp. We are in the right. We are the ones that are doing the right thing. And our joy gets sapped from that. But you see genuine repentance coming back to the essence of what we are as Christians. That is repentance and faith in Christ alone. Relying on Him and living the resurrection life, the spirit-filled life, brings us back to joy. And when we live this out, and we start living the resurrected life in the present, what does that look like? Well it's Christ raises up from our dead works, makes us alive in him again.
1: He raises us up.
0: He gives us grace to be humble and to love one another again, to see each other as
1: persons and people and humans. I think I said to a group of men the
0: other night, it would be nice if everyone can just take a holiday together, just go away, you know, to some holiday resort and just enjoy a cookout, you know, and look at each other as humans again as people and just have fun we need that we so desperately need to see each other as people
1: for whom Christ died and when we do this he gives us the privilege to
0: suffer alongside of him for the cause of the gospel becoming like him in his death we suffer with him we take suffering upon ourselves as well. We suffer for the cause of the gospel. We will suffer insult. We'll suffer slander. We'll suffer. But we don't do those things. We don't slander and cause suffering. We take it. That's what Christ did. He suffered for us. And then we will live a self-sacrificial life in service to Him. What does this look like? Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 21. He writes this, For the love of Christ controls us. You see that? The love of con- controls us. Who's controlling you right now? Under whose control are you? Here Paul says the love of Christ controls us, the love of Christ, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all those who might no no longer live for themselves, but live for him, who for their sake died and was raised. And then Paul continues, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. We drag on no one according to the flesh. You see that. Sometimes we look at people according to the flesh. We view them in fleshly terms. But Paul continues, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's the mandate. You're a new person. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are transformed. You are changed. You have been given the power by the Spirit in order to live the resurrected life. You're to respond differently. You're to love differently. You're to bear all things, as Paul says in Corinthians
1: 13. And then he goes on. And all this is from God,
0: who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? Reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see how we're supposed to view the world? And this is the world that hates Christians, the world that onslaughts, the world that will put Christians in prison, the world that will sue Christians because of their convictions. The world that will hate and persecute and put you down. Paul says we are to view them not according to the flesh. That is the world out there. We are not to hate when they hate. We are to bless and not curse. And we are to see ourselves as ambassadors of reconciliation, that Christ and God is reconciling the world to himself. That means that's our mandate. We are to go out there, the love of Christ controlling us, like the love of Christ came down for us and our salvation. It should control us as well as we go out and see people in light of this and reconcile them to God. How much more so for those who are in Christ with us, even though we disagree. As hard as it is, as angry as we can get, and I know I,
1: I've, I've been angry. Oh,
0: many of you have been angry too. Sad. I've been angry at what all of this has done to Pastor Rick.
1: People have treated a 76 year old man. I've been angry. But we've got to be compassionate. We've got to love. We've got to be humble. And we've got to say, what did I contribute first? And this is what Paul says in that passage in
0: 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Come back to the gospel. (laughs) And then he goes in to give the gospel. For him he made him who knew no
1: sin to begun sin, so that in him we become the righteousness of God. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. You know,
0: even more so now than a year ago. Since COVID, since BLM stuff, since the conflict here. Jesus, come back, return. I can come back tomorrow. It will be great and glorious. But there's still much work to do. And so in one sense, we hold on because we want suffering to end. We want to come back. Come, Lord Jesus. John said that at the end of Revelation. Of course, that's our prayer. On the other hand, we say, wait, hold on. There's still relationships that need to be reconciled. There's still people out there that's going to be under the just judgment and wrath of God. Hang on, let us still go out. Let us still bring this message to people who are lost. So, so we have this tension with us. Yes, Lord, come back now, but we know that people will be judged if he comes back now. So we wait. Hang on, let us go out. But we're not going out when we're in a mess like this. We, it swallows us up. We become so inward focused and insular that we've got to see that our task is to be ambassadors for Christ in him. That doesn't change. And so Paul implores, be reconciled to God. And then, being reconciled to God, be reconciled to each other. He's going to get that in Philippians, the beginning of chapter 4. So where do you find your worth? You know, where do you find it? Do you find it your worth in the things you do? Is this your worth being found and caught up in this church? In the name Harbor Reformed Baptist Church, this church has been caught up here and now it's been shattered. And along with that, your worth feels like it's shattered. Is it caught up in your service to God? That subtly over time. You've been doing things, and you think that brings a service to God, and therefore in that you found your righteousness.
1: Is it caught up in your cultural identity, in your success?
0: Or do you consider yourself unworthy? Are you on that side, where you just think you wallow in your failures?
1: You measure yourself against Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you know? Or you see your own sin, but you do nothing with it. You just get depressed over it. Or do you allow the scripture to reveal your unworthiness? And
0: point you to the gospel in Christ. And there you find your worth. The worth of knowing him. As Lord. And you know what? In that. He declares you to be worthy enough to die for. Imagine that. That the second person of the Trinity. Took on flesh. Became a servant. Humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on the cross
1: and shed his precious blood for you and your son. That is beautiful because he thought it worth doing that. Graham Kendrick describes
0: the inspiration for the song that we sang just before the sermon he said this, we know that our culture calibrates human worth by measures of wealth and status, skills and achievement, beauty and youth, power and so on. But we don't always appreciate how deeply those values are ingrained into us and how effective they are in driving our behavior. Christians are a little different. We need to sing about our worth from God's perspective, not ours or our culture's. And God's perspective centers it
1: on the cross. I want us to recalibrate our thinking this
0: morning around the knowledge of Christ and how we come to knowing Him. Since I believe we need that this morning. You know, it's a good time to do it because you've got the Lord's table right here before you. Do you think in coming to the table that you are good enough for this table? I am worth this table. If you do, you're in great danger. Do you think, on the other hand, I'm unworthy of this table, therefore I cannot come and partake of it? Well, you have a more sober thinking of yourself, and that's a good thing, but you need to take action. The action is repent of your sin. You are not worthy enough of this table, but you know what? Christ makes you worthy. By his blood, he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, and he brings you into this body. And through that he humbles you again to make you think and ponder your own worth from his perspective. That he's the one that assigns you your worth. And he does it in himself. By giving you his spirit and brings you into his body. And guess what? Everyone that confesses and believes and has a spirit comes into that same body. (laughs) And so we come humbly We come repentantly, repenting of our sin again this morning. Lord Jesus, give us grace. Be with us. Restore us. Refresh us. Help us to know you. Help us to know the power of your resurrection. Have mercy on us. We pray for Jesus' sake and his glory. Amen.